Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. Well, those of you that are in a quest to know the Lord, the Lord realizes that that's how we do begin our connection. And so He's chosen to write us a love letter to let us know who He is and, in a sense, how to even live our life in a way that would bring us the joy and the peace and the love and all the experience of God. So He's written that to us. And although we really can't hear the tone, I didn't know if He was a baritone or a bass. I do know this, that if you read through the Word of God, the Spirit of God will help you to understand a bit of the tone, the times when there is that bit of cheerfulness of the Lord and the joy comes out. And then there are times when He's very serious. Then there are times that it's contemplative when He asks questions. But all of that coming back to the tone that God loves us just the way we are. But then if you go a little bit further and you watch through the Scriptures, His actions, that's going to tell you who He is. But I think there's one other commodity that might reveal something about that person that helps us get to know that person better. And that is if we have the privilege of being with them when that person is pouring their heart out to God in a way that means so much to them that is not filtered by any other motives, just a heartfelt cry unto the Lord expressing themselves to the Lord. So if I have the opportunity to read your words or hear your words and listen to your tone and perhaps even watch what you do, when I would get alongside you at a time that maybe you didn't even know I was watching you, that I overheard how you poured your heart up to the Lord, how you told Him how great the Lord is, you magnify Him, how you humbled yourself with a confessed heart, feeling safe that you could be transparent, how that you would want to pray on the behalf of others that shows your love for them and knowing that God loves them too and you love those whom God loves. And then you pray for yourself as well as you pour your heart unto Him and saying, Lord, these are my needs. Without you, I have nothing. I'm desperate for you. And then to end it with that heartfelt gratefulness to Him. If you had that opportunity to do all of that, I would know a little bit more of your heart. Now, you might be wondering, why am I leading in with this? Because the last time we were together and next week, we were actually going to have that extra bit of opportunity. We not only have His words that we can read, and we have the Spirit that might give us a little bit of an understanding of His tone, and we can read all about the actions that Jesus did. But we get another privilege, and that is we get a chance to read through Scripture of the Son's prayer to God the Father, and yet they are all one. In fact, this happens to be the recorded prayer of Jesus, the longest recorded prayer of Jesus. There's over 19 different times that the Lord talks to the Father, and I've only given you a few of them there in your outline so you could look at them at your own time. You'll also find that this is not only the longest prayer of the Lord actually recorded at this time in history, and I'll tell you where that is in a moment, but it also happens to be the longest prayer because he not only prayed for himself, he not only prayed for those 11 guys that were around him, he also prayed for all believers as it moved into the future. So this is a prayer that was a 2,000-year-old prayer that's still going on today. In fact, those of you that study about the Lord, you'll know that when he died on the cross, he made what is known as intercession. He took every sin of myself and you and me and every t- all time on himself. He died. He paid for that sin. So he suffered my pain, my hell, all of that on the cross. But in Hebrews it says that he forever makes intercession for us. So it was a one-time act then, but he continually intercedes. And I believe that there's a continual prayer of the Lord that's going on. 
So if you really want to know the Lord and you really do care, wherever side of your journey you're trying to get to know Him to start with, or those of you that want to know Him more intimately, you know Him through His words, through the Spirit of God, through reading about His actions, especially what He's done for us on the cross, and then carefully go through His prayer. Now, those of you that didn't have the opportunity to be with us a couple of weeks ago, I'd like to give you for just a moment what we'll call the bird's eye view of this chapter. That way you'll know a little bit more about where it is. And then I'm going to come down. I hate to use this term, but we're going to look at the worm's eye view. We're going to kind of focus on about six verses because they are so rich. Let's talk now about that bird's eye view. The Lord now is at a time in the timeline that he has finished the upper room. He has finished all of his instructions to his disciples. They are now heading towards the, uh, Gethsemane at that time. And while he's doing this, there's a time of prayer. I believe, as well as many commentators, that it was a prayer that he prayed unto the Father out loud for everyone to hear. This particular prayer is a very important prayer because this is the prayer right before he then goes to the cross. So he's like doing a benediction on everything he said and he taught, at least what was recorded in Scripture. And now he's praying for himself, he prays for his disciples, and then he prays for you and me into the future. And so let's just look for a moment at the three compartments of that prayer, and then I'm going to talk a little bit more about the center one. The first one is when he prayed for himself, and he prayed that he would be glorified. And we know that he was glorified in the cross when he went to the cross. He paid our sin debt, and then he rose again from the dead, and he had you and me in mind. Watch this now. The key word is eternity. So right in your margin, the word eternity. All of it was the eternality of God. That's why he said that he wanted us to believe and that through believing in him we would have life. And so that life is eternal life that's found in Christ and all of that is the glory of God, what was done for you and me. So he's praying for that glory of himself. That's found in verses 1 through verse 5. Verses 6 then through um, verse 19, he begins to pray for his disciples and we're going to spend a little bit more time on that. This time he's praying because he wants to protect them. And since it says that as he prayed for his disciples, he prayed for us, I believe that while he was specifically praying for his disciples, in his mind was a connection. And so by connection or extension, the same prayer he prayed for them, he's praying for us, and then he amplifies it and he turns all of his attention towards those beyond the disciples. That's his prayer. And again, it was for protection. So the key word there is not eternity. The key word there is security. So write that down. I want you to know that the Lord loves us so much that he not only provided us security on the cross that we'd be forever safe, forever in his family, we will never be cast out, but that his prayer now continually teaches us through intercession that he's praying that we now will be secure. Now again, that prayer, listen carefully now, that prayer wasn't to change the mind of God the Father. That prayer was to affirm what God already promised and make it real in our life. So it wasn't trying to bend the mind of God to change what he was going to do, but to now affirm through that prayer. So the word there is security. We will talk about that. The next phrase is when he begins, begins to pray for everyone, for you and me. And so he wanted us to know, first of all, the eternality there is with God by being in his forever family. And then the security that we will stay forever in his forever family. And not just that we have fire insurance now, there's a whole lot more with that security. But then the third word is the word unity. So I want you to write down security and then unity. It starts with eternity, security, and then unity. And what he's talking about in unity here is that we would all be unified in the faith. It doesn't mean that we'll all be a part of the same denomination or we'll all be a part of this church. The rest of the uh, local churches and national churches are all wrong. Now, it's not saying that. It's saying not an ecumenical movement, but a unity that we find because, here it is, 
the Word of God, that we all believe and understand the same things, that there's unity in Christ. I don't have time to go to that today. You really need to be here next week because I need to open up that whole important issue of unity. In fact, if you like the better word than unity, maybe a word today would be the word community. So unity with community going on, and that's going to be next week, and we should, Lord willing, complete John 17 by next week. So now let's go back to our passage today. That's the uh, bird's eye view. So let's talk a little bit about the worm's eye view on this, if you will. If you know, he's praying now. And while he's praying, we get a chance to have the privilege of being the answer to his prayers. And so the last time we were together, we talked about we are the answer to his prayers when God is getting the glory. And he gets the glory through us when we are most satisfied with him. And it's evidenced by us doing what God would want us to do in the power of the Holy Spirit for his glory through our giftedness, the way God wired us in a place he wants us to be. So in other words, God gets glory when we're basically just living for him from the inside out for all eternity here and then forever in heaven. So that's an answer to prayer. But now I want to get into the new material and that is when we are living in security. Now, he is praying for us to be secure, and we are theologically secure. That means we can't ever get out of his family, get out, ever out of his universal church. We can never get out of his body, so to speak. But we can have that sense of feeling disconnected from him. We can have that sense of fear so much that we think we might have lost our salvation, or we might not be connected, and maybe this isn't all true, and maybe those cults are right. And so we can be the answer to his prayer by understanding the security that we have in him. So I don't know where you are right now, but I want you to know that this prayer is very important for us. I know that there's a level of you here already that know theologically I'm secure in Christ. I know that if I have fear, I shouldn't have it. I should go back to the Lord. I get that by getting into his word and I have faith and the fear leaves. I know you know that. But I think if you're like me... That even though we might know it up here in our head, sometimes our heart begins to wobble, especially when life happens. You start wondering. This last week, on Monday, I'm at my house. I happen to be in our bedroom. I mean, I do go there once a night, but I happen to be in the daytime. I was in the closet. I don't know. I probably, it was after I finished washing and ironing the clothes. I was hanging them up. Joking, joking. I wasn't doing that. I hear... And any man knows what that is. That means a hose or a pipe broke, probably in the bathroom. And so sure enough, I go in there and this pipe broke, this hose broke. And you have to understand, I don't know how to fix anything. My idea of fixing something, my toolbox is nothing more than the yellow pages. You know, I call somebody and I can't call David Hess. He's in Canada. So I don't know what in the world am I going to do. And I'm yelling to Carol. Not that she could fix it, but she could bring plenty of towels. But I knew that our towels would run out if I didn't get this thing. I realized it's a shutoff valve. I will tell you, I did not once during that entire event think about my eternal security. I did not think about where Satan in all of this. All I thought about is if this water leaks from the first, second floor to the first floor, we have a major problem, all right? So all of us goes through those normal times of life. Life happens. But I will tell you that as you start going through this, as you become more and more inclined to know intimately the Lord, you will find that that dramatic, horrible, sick fear begins to leave very quickly. You're able to sort it out. And when you do get a chance to momentarily kind of slow down from a little bit of a traumatic experience, you will see that you will have that calmness that will come about where that, you know what? What's the worst that could happen? Wipe out the second floor, wipe out the first floor. We have insurance. 
Well, what's worse than that? We're going to be out of town for three weeks. Our house will be a mess. We have three pets and somebody has to live in a house. It's all turn, torn up. Now, what, what could be so bad about that? You have to ask Carol, all right? She can certainly tell you. So you can go through stuff, but I want you to know that you have an ever-loving Savior who way before you were in your mother's womb, you were in the mind of God, knowing in a fallen state that you'd have to be redeemed. And in that redemption of being a part of his forever family, that he would then keep you in that family. And he would provide through his prayers and his resources all that would be necessary for you to experience. No matter what happens in life, you are secure. And that's the Savior I want to not only know, that's the Savior I want to broadcast, and someone says, make famous to the world. Because there's no other leader, no other cult leader today or in the past that could ever do or promise or keep a promise anywhere near that that we have in Jesus Christ. Now, for those of you that are on the front side of your journey, let me just encourage you, keep studying, keep learning, keep asking, meet with some of our people. We will guide you. We will listen to you. We will help you. And I know that some of you are saying, I I appreciate you giving me that time. Now, I do have to tell you this. Nobody knows when your heart's going to stop beating. So while you're taking the time to do that, you are like a, a man over a cliff holding onto a rope while you're still trying to figure out about all of this stuff. And I don't know how long that rope's going to hold. So I hope very much that you would do this search, this seeking, as quickly as you can. And then finally, we can give you all the facts, all the reasoning. We can give you all the data. But you still have to do this one thing I'm going to show you. You still have to take a step of faith. It's a step of faith. And God wants you to do that. Well, that is a little bit of our background. So let's talk about living in security. Those of you that have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to John chapter 17. If you don't have a Bible, there's plenty of Bibles in the uh, chairs underneath the racks there. Find the one that has New American, if you will. That one might help you to follow where I'm at. If you want a more easier translation to read, you might do the NIV. All right, so let's go to John 17. And I'm just going to read you verses 11 through verse 16. That's the core of what I'm talking about here. This is kind of in the section of where he's praying for his disciples. All right, pick it up at verse 11. He says, I am no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world. I, I, gotta, I can't just read. I've got to tell you this. When you're reading that, you're saying, how can he say he's no longer in the world? He's still walking to Gethsemane and all of that, and he's no longer in the world. In a sense, this is kind of like a projection. I am no longer in the world. In other words, my job is now being concluded. I'm already looking toward the future, the eternal future that's happening. So in a sense, my job is being completed here. I'm finished. I'm leaving. They're not. So that's why he says in the end of verse 11 there, I'm no longer in the world, yet they themselves are in the world, that they themselves are the disciples, all right, and by extension us. And so Jesus says to the Father, I come to you, Holy Father, Keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me. And I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition. So who's that? We'll discover that in a moment. So that, or the reason for, that the scripture would be fulfilled. But now, Jesus continues praying, I come to you, Holy Father, And these things I speak in the world so that they, those disciples and us by extension, may have my joy made full in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they're not of the world. And even as I am not of the world, by extension, they hate me. Verse 15, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, important phrase, but do keep them from the evil one, for they are not of the world, even as I am not. 
of the world. That's our portion right here. So he's praying for the disciples, and so some of you are going to hear a little history lesson. Oh, there's the disciples. I know. There's 12 of them. One's a, a bad guy. You know, got 11 left. But do you know what's so incredible about this? Jesus is praying for them, and he's showing the kinds of prayers he's praying for these 11 guys. And I'm going to keep saying by extension of us, this is the last time I'm going to say that because I want you to know that. It also would include us. But for right now, these disciples. And so I decided, okay, he's praying for these guys. What kind of guys were they? So here's my little outline for those of you that are so new. They were ordinary guys. First of all, none of them were educated. We don't know anything about their educational background. Probably homeschooled by parents because that's usually what the Jewish culture did. So that's basically their education. That's not a slight on saying homeschool people don't have knowledge. It's just saying that's what they got. They didn't go beyond that homeschool experience. That was it. They didn't have much material resources. I don't know any of them that were wealthy. We could make some guesses that some made more than others, or maybe when they had a great fishing uh, you know, catch, they might have made more money. It was up and down, but nobody really had the bucks. They all had common careers. Some were even less prestigious. One common career was fishermen. Generally, a lot of them were that, and that was a common career in those days because that's how they got most of their food. One of them was a tax collector. That was Matthew. The other one was a zealot. He was a political revolutionary. His name was often referred to as Simon, identified the zealot. Now, why is that important? It tells me you had all these common guys who were fishermen. Then you had a guy who was hated by the Jews. That was the tax collector. You had a guy hated by the Romans. That was the zealot. So you had just ordinary guys that lived their life out there, and the Lord said, I've got to pray for them. Now, that's those guys then. Let's fast forward. Those are the 11 guys that would then become the apostles in Acts that would then begin to plant the New Testament church. And really, we are here today because of that ragamuffin group of 11 that was prayed for by our Savior. So that means that you and I are very much like them. But then I decided, okay, that's not enough. I know their careers telling me that whatever career we have, that uh, we're going to need God's help. But what are their weaknesses? See if you agree with me, those of you that have been studying this. First of all, Peter. Was it not he impetuous? If you don't know what impetuous is, just ask the person next to you, okay? Impetuous. James and John, hot-headed. Thomas, skeptical. Like Philip, many lacked spiritual perception. Like James and John, all showed pride. Like Peter, all showed cowardice from time to time. And Jesus found them all sleeping instead of praying. That's the kind of guys that Jesus was going to launch the church with built upon himself, of course, and he was now praying for them. Well, then I got thinking about them, and I realized that's a lot like a whole lot of us. So I then went over my <clears throat> weaknesses. Do you know that I can be impetuous? I, I said something to somebody this last week, and I hurt him deeply. I didn't mean to. It was a lot of things happened. I made a quick decision. I was real firm about it. It's not my usual dip my arrow in honey like I like to do. And I just fired it without thinking, without assessing it right. I, I, I misfired. I made a mistake. My greatest prayer is that it wasn't relationally fatal. And so we talked about it. I, I don't, it's not on my end. I hope it's not on my end. How about hot-tempered? Have any of you been lost your temper this week? Don't raise your hand and don't bump the person next to you. All right? Hot-tempered. Skeptical. Sometimes we read something. I don't know how that all fit. Maybe I don't really know. Skeptical. How about uh, lacking in spiritual perception? How about uh, prideful? How about fearful? In other words, you had an opportunity to go public for Jesus and you didn't go public. And then how about just plain old apathetic? You know you should read your Bible and you didn't. You know you should have prayed, but you did it on your own or tried to. We all go through that. Now, why am I telling you that? This is the kind of group that Jesus prayed for, again, us, 
And I'm so glad that I have the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Son of God, praying to God the Father on my behalf, knowing that I am very much like this here. And those are the guys that spread the gospel, planted the churches, shepherded the churches, taught the churches, and prepared the churches. You ready for this? Martyrdom. Because many of them died for the faith. They did, and a lot of the followers of Jesus did as well. So that's the kind of people that are praying for. So when I'm going through this today on security in the Lord... I want you to know that we have a Lord that prayed for us then and is connecting with God the Father now on our behalf. And he does because Satan is all the time bringing accusations to God about us and Jesus steps in to stop that accusation. That's the kind of Savior we have. Don't you want to know him? Don't you want to know him more? And really, don't you want others to know him? There's no other leader anywhere that's like this. So now the question is, is the protection part. Do you have your Bibles? I'm going to point out four words that kind of emphasize the concept of security or protection in here. Same passage again. Go back to it, if you will. All right, verse 11 says, I'm no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world. I come to you, Holy Father. Keep them. So circle the word keep in verse 11. Keep them. Then if you will, go to um, verse, uh, verse uh, 12, and it says here, While I was with them, I was keeping them. So circle keep in 11, keeping in verse 12. If you want to, you can drop a little bit further down and go to verse um, 12 again. And it says, and I guarded them. So you have keep, keeping, guarded. And then all the way down to verse 15, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. So you've got keep, keeping, guarded, and keep. Now, what, what do you mean by keep and guarding and all this kind of security? There's two different Greek words. You don't need to know them. You just need to know that there are two different Greek words. And from those Greek words, which that portion of the scripture was written in, um, you wanted to know that they have a little different nuance between keeping and guarding and all of that. So if I, if I had a football or a basketball, I would use that as an illustration. So for now, we are going into basketball season since football is over. If, if we were playing basketball and you would throw the basketball to me, I would grab the bi- basketball. So I'm keeping this, all right? That's a dynamic. I'm keeping this. Jesus says, I'm going to keep you. And that's a good thing to be kept, but there's something else going on. There's not a big deal to keep a basketball if the opposing team walks off the court and goes home. Hey, I got the ball. My ball, my, my rules, okay? So I'm keeping it. But that's not a game. That's not life. Now the next word comes in. Yeah, God, Christ, keeps us, but now he guards us. And there's a position title on a basketball team that's called a what, everybody? A guard. His job isn't just, I got the ball. No, he's got the ball, and then what he wants, he's going to guard it. So he either holds it, dribbles it, protects it to make sure that none of the other opposing team will get the ball from him. So when it says here, the Lord keeps us, protects us, yeah, he does keep us, but he also protects us from, remember what we read? The enemy that's out there that's going to try to steal Steal you, steal your heart, steal your mind. That's how he steals you. He doesn't pick you up and you fly away. He's taking you away from God. And Jesus says, I'm going to guard you. I'm going to protect you. Nothing is going to take you out of my hand. He said that a few chapters backwards in John. So nothing is going to keep you away from the Lord. So those of you that in any measure, you're thinking, could I ever lose my salvation? Once you get in, you can't get out. Why? Here it is. Here it is. Because you don't do anything to get in to get saved other than believing. You can't do anything to stay in once you're there because Jesus keeps you and he guards you and that's part of the prayer. Now, 
The beauty of that, this gets so interesting. When he died for us on the cross, that provided the position of the potential for everything that I just told you. His prayer is now that part of him, that, that activity of him, that now makes what he promised and what he did on the cross real on a day-by-day basis. Now let's connect that what I said before. So when you are impetuous, when you do have fearful times, when you are hot-headed, in other words, blank, when you sin, you are still kept by God. And that's his prayer. He's talking to God the Father to do this. Not to change God's mind to say, oh, God might not do that, so I'm sure glad Jesus asked about it because God doesn't want to do that. No, what Jesus is doing is affirming something he's promised all along. And you could read that throughout Scripture as well. Now, how does he do that? Go back to the passage. How does he protect me? In the passage, it says they were protected. He says, I, am, I was keeping them. Well, go up to verse 11. He says, Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are. Ooh, this is huge. First of all, go to the phrase Holy Father. In this verse is the only verse in Scripture where God the Father is called Holy Father, and He's called Holy Father by none other than the Holy Son, Jesus Christ. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us Make It Clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Thank you.